Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Business of Inner Peace. I'm super excited to have Gail Berend on with me. She is an engineer. She is an author of the book Energy is Real. And she really went from being a skeptic into becoming an energy healer, teacher, and seeker of um, faith and God and all things. And so I'm super excited to get to talk with her. Welcome, Welcome Gail. Gail. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm excited, I'm excited to, be to be here. Welcome to the Business of Inner Peace. I'm your host, Erin Jean, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's pretend we're sitting in my living room enjoying a cup of coffee or tea and getting to know each other just a little better. That's what I love. I love getting to hear your story. I love feeling connected by the spirit of understanding that our stories bring. Today, I'm sharing some of my story, but I hope someday soon you'll be telling me yours. Listen, I know that you're feeling overwhelmed with life and nothing is exactly how you'd like it to be. Your marriage is not what you hoped for. Motherhood is harder than you imagined. And you've lost yourself somewhere in the mix of responsibilities. Well, if you're ready to bring some more peace and joy into your life, reconnect with God who made you, and start living a life you love, then grab your cup of coffee or tea, and let's dive into today's show. would really love to know because this is quite a story and I know a lot of skeptics in my world. <laughs> um, I'd love to know what happened that took you, especially with an engineer mind, right? What happened that took you from being um, a skeptic of all of this type of stuff? What experience led you to acknowledging and believing in energy and spirit and all of that? Well, yes, I was, I was very much woo-phobic. Um, oh, well, that's a good term. engineering days and and i was you know i dismissed you know stories of you know psychic phenomenon and that sort of thing it's just kind of you know i'm sure there's a scientific explanation you know <laughs> we just don't know it yet you know and so i was very and the idea of spirit and that sort of thing the closest thing i came to something resembling feeling spirit or spiritual would be you know looking up at the night sky you know where you feel this sense of awe or or being in a blizzard, and even though it's it's big and confusing, you know, there's a sense of peace that would come over me. Uh, so that was the or standing on a high mountain and looking over the vista, you get these moments of awe, yeah. and that's that's about as close as I got to feeling any sense of spirituality. Uh, and I was very much a left brain logical engineer, so I had to prove things, and you know that sort of thing. Yeah. So. Um, and I, you know, I was, had my neatly ordered life. I had, I had a, a boyfriend and we were living together. We'd been together four years. We were looking at buying a house together, talking marriage, kids, the whole nine yards, you know? And so my neatly ordered engineer mind, I saw the future as, you know, house in the suburbs, you know, minivan, 2.5 kids and, and, uh, you know, like a, uh, an English sheepdog or golden retriever, right? That was my future that I had in my mind, and uh, and I was confidently marching towards that. I thought, in in our relationship, and then um, 
And I trusted and I, I, I loved my partner and I was committed to him and that sort of thing and believed that he loved me. And then uh, things started um, deteriorating in our relationship to the point where he was starting to criticize me all the time. And, uh, and I just kept trying to adapt, thinking I was to blame. I would keep changing myself to try and keep him happy. And, um, but it didn't seem to work. It, it just seemed to find other reasons, you know, even though I was shifting. And I ended up becoming almost a doormat as a result because I was so determined to make this work. And uh, it was a bit of a, he was a bit of a narcissist in that that way. And anger was his way of controlling people. So, um, but it didn't dawn on me that, you know, I just figured it would sort of, he would sort of get sorted out and we'd be fine. And, uh, and then um, he started asking for more time to himself. So we were living together. So he wanted to go out with the guys and at, at work. And um, so I said, sure, fine. And then he would always tell me when he was going to do that or, you know, I'll be home such and such. Well, one night he didn't come home. And uh, to the point where I called the police, I called hospitals. I was trying to find out what happened to him because he usually had always been very good at letting me know, you know, what, what he was doing and that sort of thing. So he didn't come home. And I, I, as I said, I called all these emergency places. No, 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 no sign of him there. And, uh, and then I began to feel, oh, that, that maybe our relationship was really in trouble. And finally he came home around five in the morning and, um, and I asked him, I hope you've got a good excuse. I called from the bedroom, and his response wasn't a good excuse. It was, do you want me to sleep in the other room? And uh, and I said, no, I think we need to talk. So he came in, and uh, and it seems like, because we were, not only were we, you know, partners and lovers and, and all that, but we were also best friends. So you know, I was the one he would usually confide in. And so he confided in me that he'd fallen in love with this woman at work. And, at, I, you know, he was smelling of cigarettes and perfume, which was not, he didn't smoke or wear perfume. So I knew that this was real. And uh, and then it was like, it's such a relief for him to unburden himself. Uh, but he was telling the wrong person. And, uh, and so I, I was devastated. And not only that, to show you how far into the doormat I'd gotten into, I actually went to the bathroom. So I, and then he would go to sleep after he had burdened himself. I went back to the bathroom and cried so I wouldn't disturb his sleep. Can you imagine? That's the kind of how far I got into this. So, at, yeah, been there, done that. I understand. Yeah. And, um, and it took me a few days to realize that I had a say in the matter. And um, I was worrying, you know, what's he going to decide, me or her, uh, all this stuff. And then I thought, I can't stand this. He, he lives in my home. And um, and eventually I realized I, we need distance to be able to sort this out. And so I, I kicked him out, basically, and um, went through a huge up and down as a result of that moment, alternating between the sense of relief and freedom. Ah. <sighs> I don't have to be someone else anymore. And devastation, what have I done? I've, you know, my future gone. And 
And that's what it felt like. It's as if my my neatly ordered life had fallen off a cliff into an abyss. And I went into this spiral of of a despair of, of you know how you can judge yourself when you're down and and all the because I'd been so my self-esteem had been eroded, there was a lot of self-loathing hitting me and um I didn't have any tools to deal with that. So I just spiraled deeper to the point where I became suicidal. I, I was thinking about ending it. If I can't have love, then if I'm not lovable and I can't have love, then why stay? Why live at all? And so I was just, it's as if I crashed at the bottom of the abyss and splatted on the bottom. And I was feeling so bereft of worth and and so unlovable and that it was hopeless for me even to, to even long for love. And in that moment of deepest despair, I heard a voice in my head which said, but I love you. And it was accompanied by a rush of golden energy coming down through my head, golden pinky energy, all the way down through my whole body, filling me with the most joyful, fulfilling, vast love. I had never experienced love like that ever in my life, not even from my mother it was huge. And um, I felt it in every cell. And this was sort of revealed to me in this state of being in this infinite love. I was uh, shown that I wasn't special, that I was loved and every part of me was loved, including my flaws. And you know how we love ugly dogs? Yeah, because they're cute. They're so you know they're cute. Yeah. So even my flaws were cute because they were places of becoming, which I hadn't grown into yet, and so they were loved. And not only that, I I was expanded into kind of a universal consciousness, and I realized this is true for all of us. I wasn't being singled out for special favors. This is the truth behind everything, and uh, and I just. I just picked that up intuitively. I just experienced it, and I experienced it in every cell. And uh, and I realized I I can't actually ever be alone. <laughs> this is this is always the background of our being. And so after that, you know, I, I eventually, you know, I was high as a result of this. I went from suicidal despair to this state of a being that was so filled with love and reassurance and oh my gosh and then I did my engineer brain finally kicked in and I was like whoa what was that it had no frame of reference for this nothing in science prepared me for this experience and so it was like okay there's more to reality than I realized and um, and that it became my I had to know I need to learn more and so that's what started the passionate seeking, because um, I, I had I couldn't deny my ex- felt experience. It was it was direct, and it was felt cellularly, and it was such a shift from the state I'd been in seconds before. I wouldn't have known how to get myself there, and um, and that feeling comes back every time I remember it. Just like when I was sharing it with you, I was experiencing it again, and so. It's such a blessing, and and I've learned since then. While in my exploring, so what was that about? I did a lot of 
research, reading, studying, uh, you know, people who were into more spiritual topics, you know, recommended books to me. And, and so I started learning about the nature of personal reality, the nature of consciousness, and, and uh, eventually was led to A Course in Miracles, which seeing as in the, in the Course in Miracles, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the voice for God. And I thought, that's what I got. That, that voice that I love you was coming from this vast place. And, and, um, and so I decided to study A Course in Miracles, which gently opens you up to Christian concepts. But they're in a in a diff. They're not in a dogmatic way. They're done in a, a broader, more gentle and understanding way. There's no hellfire. There's no do this or you're damned. It's all all about the soul's growth and about our opening to to love and to forgiveness and uh, understanding and patience <laughs> and uh, all of the. It, I mean, I've been studying that for over thirty years now. And it has given me such joy, and I'm not trying to promote it. It's it's not actually a religion or anything. It is a course. It's a study course, uh, a course that op- teaches you how to open to the Holy Spirit's voice and allow it to guide you in your life. And it also opens you to seeing Jesus as your beloved older brother who's been there and is here to guide you. He's It's like he walks slightly ahead of you with his hand extended back to guide you in the tricky parts, right? So that's a heartwarming visualization for me, and it feels uh, so it's very real for me. And also I had to understand, so if the world of spirit is real, what's, it's like, it was an energy experience that changed my perception. And, And so then I became really curious about what else don't I know? about energy, that sort of thing. And then that sort of began the journey of opening my energy awareness. Uh, for the first 10 years, I, my journey and my seeking was mostly intellectual because of the engineer mind. <laughs> it had to be satisfied that I wasn't going bonkers so that there are plenty of people throughout history even for thousands of years who pondered this and and recorded their experiences and that sort of thing. So um, there was a lot to catch up on. And, uh, and then finally, I came to the place where I understood from reading books by Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and, and that sort of thing that our thoughts and our emotions affect our physical body and that um, where we block them often over time, uh, physical ailments and issues will occur and especially strong emotions like anger or grief. Um, resentment, those can really create serious illness in the body. And and so there I was thinking about, you know, my heartbreak that I'd experienced, and I'd never really addressed it. I'd stayed intellectual, right? Reading uh, about energy and about spirit and all of that uh, as best I could try to get up to speed. But I hadn't addressed my own heartbreak. And um, and so I realized after 10 years of seeking that I had to do the healing work. I had to find some way of healing my heart. And that's what led me to explore healing as a patient, as a, as a client. And that led to my becoming interested in learning how to do this to help others. And so in a nutshell, that's how I got to it. Now I've 
I I ended up um, switching from engineering to to training and documentation of technical subjects uh, because the engineering work, much as I loved it, required me to be on the road a lot. So I found that by switching to training and documentation, I could stay in my city and have have a life. And that's what I ended up doing, and I still do on the side. And then I started my healing practice on weekends. So I was living this double life. (laughs) Yeah, that makes me laugh. Like you really are living a double life. Well, first of all, I just have to say that that story of your experience, so beautiful. I, I could feel just a warmth myself as you were sharing it. And I just had this thought like, wow, God, if you could show up in that way for every person that was in that place, what an amazing turn of events would continue to happen. Because I know so many people struggle with this. And I've personally struggled with this. And I've come to accept in all of my experience that God loves us so individually that he allows us to have an individual story. And there isn't just one response that happens for all people. Um, and I I think it's so cool because you were essentially led to this truth of um, the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus and how they are present in your life and how much you are loved, but through like a complete backdoor, unexpected way. Which the only is, way they could get to me, right? Right. It's so... <laughs> It is so cool. And I know intuitively that um, everything we have just talked about has kind of freaking people out that are, that have come to know God in the way that I have, where they've grown up with this Christian um, background. And in that Christian background, you have a lot of what I call Christianese. There's a lot of words and language and thoughts that we're all kind of collectively taught. And in that, there's trigger words. And a big trigger word is energy. A big trigger word would be like healer. Um, Interestingly enough, even spirit can be a trigger word, which is kind of funny because it's like, if you're not saying Holy Spirit, then it's it's sort of, it's freaking Christians out. Like the only spirit, like you're sort of allowed to say in my experience is Holy Spirit. Otherwise, maybe you've gone to woo-woo. And so I think that it would be really helpful for everyone that's in that space because you were a skeptic and you love science. Like if we talk a moment about how we know that energy is real and sort of defining what are we even talking about when we say energy so I guess for all the listeners out there, I'm asking you to take a deep breath, to put your guard down, and to listen from a very, like, practical, yes, I can identify that I have had this experience, or I can identify that I have seen these things kind of a space. So, Gail, what would you share with us? Like, what is energy and how do we know that it's real? Well, first of all, we, I'd like to share that we, that energy is basically the non-physical aspects of our being. 
And uh, so our emotions, our thoughts, our longings, our conscience, they're not, even though scientists try to say they belong in parts of the brain, they're beyond it. And we are extend beyond the physical body. Um, basically, it's pure, we're pure fluid consciousness. If you want to know what our true nature is, it's pure fluid consciousness. And all our feelings, emotions, that sort of thing are a, a part of that. And when, if you've ever seen a dead body, there's nobody home. But that's the first impression I got when I saw, when a friend of mine had died and I was the first one to see him in the hospital and his eyes were open, but he, he had passed and it was, there was no one home. It wasn't that, oh, he's died and stopped. It was just the, the body was empty. So there was something filling the body that uh, had gone, and that was the sense that had left. Somebody had left the room, and in his case, the body. Uh, so that was my first intuitive hit of we're more, we're not the body. We think we are. We we tell ourselves we are. We act as though we are, and uh, everything that we worry about and fear in life is to do with the body. And we fear death. We fear injury. We fear torture. We fear uh, control, uh, imprisonment. All of those things. Are, can only be done to bodies. They can't be done to who we really are, which is eternally free. And I love how the Bible talks about us, that we were created in the image of God, in image and likeness of God. God is not a body. God is is formless and infinite and, and omnipresent. It's, it's this consciousness that inhabits everything. And we're we're made from that. We too are like that. But it's not what we've been taught. And so the only way to truly understand energy is to experience it for yourself. And we do actually experience it in little ways. Uh, I can give you some really, really basic examples. For example, last time you went house hunting or apartment hunting, what was it about a place that made you think, yeah, this is the place? Like, oh my gosh, I literally just got goosebumps because it brought back this memory. I was helping my sister look for an apartment and she was only able to rent a room, right? And so we went to this place where the lady was like interviewing her and we were checking it out and we didn't have words. Like the lady didn't say anything unkind. Um, there was no, if you were just listening there would be nothing to indicate that this place was not a good place. But my sister and I could not get out of there fast enough. And as soon as we got in the car, we were like, what was that? Like, you just avoided a really bad situation because there was a heaviness and a darkness. And all we could feel when we were in that living room with this lady is like we wanted to run out of there. And so again, like I know that that was, you're 100% right. You you can feel something when yeah. you go to places. Yes, exactly. And and animals do too, right? They, they're equipped. They, said they can sense danger. I, I had cats and I would go for walks with them and they could sense a dog a block away, you know, and they, they would when by the time the dog finally got to us, the cats were nowhere to be seen, right? They They took care of themselves. And I believe we are equipped with exactly the same abilities. We've just been taught to not trust them 
and to ignore them and to only uh, believe what people tell us. And uh, so, and babies are very sensitive, right? Uh, we we come in the world that open and sensitive, and that and they also come in with this trust and this desire to bond. They come in and they look straight into your eyes, and if you're able to look and receive that, like it's like the universe is is welcoming you. You think you're welcoming them, but the universe is also welcoming you when you bond with them, right? So, these are energy experiences. You can't describe it in physical terms, but they are very real. And, and our energy senses are, as I say, as real as our physical senses, but we're taught to ignore them and not to trust them, especially if our energy senses are telling us things that the adults in our life don't want us to know. And, um, and so because we don't know any better, we believe them and we stop paying attention to that information. It's always been part of us. I think we were, so in terms of energy and God. Well, God created us with these abilities. These are no more evil than our ability to see, hear, taste, and that they're they're part of the original equipment. And uh, and it's meant to support us and help us in our life. And, to, and also, you know, when you open to uh, the spiritual dimensions, you have to do that through your heart, because heart is the heart is attuned to the frequency of love. And love is one of the most powerful energies and the, the highest frequencies and as soon as you open your heart to love you know, you're you can't help but smile it's like your face softens and and it could be love for a dog or a cat it could be love for a person or for god um you soften and and then you start to get knowings and this is how you open to the holy spirit's guidance is through the, but you have to have your heart open. And that was my problem was I didn't know it, but my heart was closed as a skeptical, logical, leprate engineer. I had experienced things in early childhood that I didn't even know about, but they had left me you know, with this solid uh, wall around my heart. And it was only when I, I my heart broke, literally, uh, that it broke open. And that's what I learned later in life as, as a healer. I discovered, oh, that's how God was able to reach me. My heart broke open, and that was a, an opportunity to touch it. And when that happened, I, that's transformed me. I love that. I have definitely, so when I hit the point, my little one just popped in. When I hit the point of acknowledging that energy was real, that I could see how I was feeling it and experiencing it, for me, believing in God and believing that he created me and he created everything around me, I had to acknowledge that if energy is real, that means he's the creator of it. There's, there is no other answer because otherwise then my belief system was off, right? Um, because you can't really have both. <laughs> you can't believe that God created everything and then believe that energy is not from him. It doesn't really line up. Um, so I started to understand and realize that if energy is real and if it comes from God, then there's probably something that we need to do to be caring for it. And that's kind of what has led me down my path of starting to understand how energy works and starting to understand that energy can have like blocks um, in the same way our circulatory system 
can have something not flowing and not working well. Um, energy is just like that. Can you share a little bit about, I, I know you've experienced that. Can you share your experience? Yes, for sure. Uh, so I, I can share how those blocks form, if that's helpful. Uh, they happen because often early in childhood, and even a later uh, injury or something like, or disease may have its roots in something before you're age seven, because that's when our our awareness is developing, and and uh, and also our inner. We we have come with protective screens that uh, that help us to feel whole and safe, and and things can happen that can damage those screens. Uh, but also when we're very young, like newly born or even in the womb, we have no screens. We depend on our parents' field to protect us, which is why a screaming child will, will calm down once they're held because they're inside their mother's field, which is filled with love. And so they feel that safety instinctively. And um, so when we grow up, we have to provide that safety by filling our own field with love. And uh, so that is able to go with us wherever we go. So in terms of a block, something might happen. For example, let's say little Johnny, uh, his mother and his father are having a marital difficulties. And um, and his mother's a little irritated about things. And little Johnny is told to clean his room. But he forgets and he starts playing or runs out with his friends. Or anyway, his mother gets really angry at him and yells at him and and um, uh, punishes him maybe with either by yelling or just wait till your father comes home or or even silent treatment, which some people will do. And uh, that night, the father comes home from work, and they his mother and father have a big blowout fight, and they end up divorcing over it. Little Johnny, he's only five; he doesn't know any better. He thinks it's because he didn't clean his room. And uh, and his mother may even have said something, you know, you make me so mad if I, uh, you know, if I, I had yelled, hadn't yelled at your father, we might not be in there. And so this little kid who had no understanding, he's just five. He doesn't have the adult brain to cope with it. It's such a painful idea that he's responsible for the loss of his, his both his parents being, you know, and his father leaving his life and all that. But he can't face that. He's too little to be able to cope with it. So what he does is he blocks that part where he holds that pain, that that that, that there's a grief in the breakup, but also um, guilt and regret and all of this stuff. And he's too little to handle it. So he blocks it off. So this is how a block forms, is we're actually protecting ourselves. And it's a good thing to do at that age because we don't aren't equipped yet to deal with it. So this block is then over little Johnny's heart, and he grows, and nobody knows anything about it. He doesn't know anything, but he grows up much more intellectual, you know, um, scientific, skeptical. He's not, can't feel his heart because it's blocked off. And that makes makes for difficulties in relationship and all that stuff, and even connecting with his own kids. And uh, he gets, say he's 50, and he starts getting heart problems, Right. The energy has not been flowing fully to the to the cells and the muscles that need it. Normally, our energy nourishes all our cells, but because of that block he put in place, only some energy could get through. If none had gotten through, he would have died. But because 
you know, some energy was able to make it through the block. He lived 50-something years. But the tissues didn't replace each other, replace themselves uh, as frequently. The cells didn't divide as often. And and so the tissues became more susceptible to injury or illness. And that's what leads to a crisis. He has to go into hospital and and um, maybe uh, get a, a bypass put in or whatever. Um or even in some cases a heart transplant. There, are, I've known of people who've had a heart transplant, and the odd thing is the energy of their recipient's heart, which was healthy, and therefore the heart was healthy. They they get a new heart with the new energy. And I asked a colleague of mine who was an engineer, "Have you noticed your emotions being different since you had the heart transplant?" He said, "Yeah, I cry at a job about that. <laughs> this big guy was." And his eyes were moist as he was talking about it, right? Had been shifted by getting a new heart. You don't have to go that far, but you can do it. You can heal your heart well before that. But, but, and in a healing, part of the healing work is to help the person who's now an adult revisit that time where that injury first happened. And he discovered that he put the block there himself to protect himself. And it was a wise thing to do at that age. But now as an adult, he, he he's capable of handling it. He's capable of seeing the original experience, which he'd blocked out of his awareness. And when you... So as a healer, my task is to help him gently bring his awareness into the heart area. And then when I charge it up, uh, the memories come to the surface. And so because that was part of the block, kept it hidden. Once it's charged up, he then can say, oh, oh, I see what happened. And he says, it wasn't my fault. All these years, I felt like it was my fault that my parents broke up. And and so from his adult consciousness, he's able to let it go and realize he'd made, had this false conclusion about himself that had been, that had been um, hurting him his entire life. And so as a healer, he can lift that out of the field restructure and rebuild the tissues and allow the energy to flow again and the heart heals so in a nutshell that's kind of how healing works and how energy can be blocked and it's a block isn't something that's imposed on you from outside often it's it's our response to life that puts it in and it's it's put in for a good reason at the time but it can be removed ah i love all of this it is so powerful and there's so many different books out there um, that talk about this. The Emotion Code comes to mind, and they talk a lot about people's experiences that have had, um, like you're saying, a heart transplant or even other parts of the body um, transplanted. I know there's not, heart is probably the most common thing that gets, but I think sometimes you can get a liver transplant too. And um, there is some pretty interesting things that people experience that cannot really be explained (laughs) and it has to do with energy for sure well I feel like I could talk to you about this topic all day long Um, unfortunately time doesn't allow but I really would love to just tell people where they can connect with you I think they would get a lot out of reading your book so if you would share that with us and um, maybe we'll do part two and talk some more in a at a later date awesome yes so uh, i would 
suggest they go to my website, energyisreal.com, all one word. And um, they can, uh, my book is available in Amazon. It's on both Kindle and paperback version and in some other stores. So they can, they can order it from the website. Um, it, there's a link to which, whichever um, version of Amazon they're at. Um, and also, I also provide the first chapter of the book for those who are interested in, in joining my newsletter. Um, they can get a PDF of the first chapter of the book, which describes the world of human energy and how we pick it up. So all the kinds of initial experiences people have and also provide six exercises for people to play with. And it's a fun thing to play with with your kids too um, that that allow you to sort of explore and play with your own energy senses and awareness. Say, oh, okay, I, and, and expand them. And uh, also on the website, there are articles, scientific articles on energy um, and, and how to um, manage it, but also experiments that have been done and how what they discovered. Um, and there are six audio recordings, one for each of the exercises in the first chapter that they can download. So I think that's a good place to start. And uh, and then they, they get on my mailing list and, you know, I keep them updated on any new things, new books or, or um, blog posts that come up. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here today, for sharing your story and really just helping us think about energy in a new way. That is my hope from this conversation, that it's allowed someone out there to start thinking about this in a new way and want to be a seeker too. So have a great day and thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to be here. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're feeling blessed by the content here, the number one way you can show me is by leaving me a written review of the show. I'd be forever grateful. Knowing that you're out there listening helps me know that I'm truly living out God's purpose in my life. The other thing you can do is take a screenshot of this episode, share it with a friend, or better yet, tag me on your Instagram stories. Remember, you are seen, known, and loved. May God richly bless you today. All my love, Erin Jean.